Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day to all you mamas out there today. Thank you for joining us for Milwaukee's philanthropic community, where we highlight people and organizations who are doing great things and making a big impact in our community. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group. Have you ever heard a story that just rocks you to your core? One that you just can't get out of your mind for days, for weeks. It just kind of hangs out in your amygdala, which is that part of the brain that processes emotion. I heard this story a number of months ago from a woman I had never met before. It's about a life journey that impacts a whole family, told by a loving mother. Being a mother myself, it just hit me really hard. It's a story about love and compassion, sacrifice and joy, a story that demonstrates how pain can be turned into purpose and loss turned into gain. And then there's this beautiful part where more characters are added to the story to offer help and kindness and support. These kind of stories just stick with you. They're stories that teach so many life lessons. Well, today you're going to hear that story that I heard a number of months ago, and I suggest that you grab a box of Kleenex. Here to tell about her beautiful experience is my first guest today, Diane Ninas. Welcome to the show today, Diane. Thank you, Jill. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, and a special thanks to Ellen Becker for providing me with this opportunity to share my story of hope. You are welcome. Well, you and I actually had a divine appointment when we sat at the same table at the Fellowship of Extraordinary Women, or FEW, leadership conference last October. I think it was when one of the speakers was talking about trauma, big T trauma, little T trauma, and she asked us to share a traumatic experience we had with others at the table. And I just remember thinking when you shared your story, oh my gosh, I mean, this woman must be totally lost, so sad or angry or inconsolable or maybe a combination of all those three. But you were none of those things. Your countenance when you told your story was one of love and pride, joy and peace, which was just beautiful. So why don't you start by sharing where your story of hope began? My story of hope started so innocently as a love-stricken teenager falling for my high school sweetheart, and together we married and had four sons. When we welcomed our third son, Leo, on New Year's Day in 2002, we had no idea what life had in store for us. Just shy of Leo's second birthday, his life took a drastic turn, and as a result, our lives were turned upside down as well. At the time, we had two teenage boys Our oldest, Matthew, was 16, and Trent was 13, and our youngest, Oliver, was only nine months old. Wow. Nine months old, and Leo was just shy of his second birthday when you were given this this news. Right. What, What changed in Leo? Leo's body began to fail him. It was subtle at first. He was tripping over his left foot, almost appearing like he had sprained his ankle. The following day, I was hoping that after a good night of sleep, things would be better. But unfortunately, when he woke up, 
He could no longer bear weight on it. This led me to contact his doctor, and things escalated pretty quickly from there. Based on the exam, the doctor ordered a CT scan of his brain, and we were sent to the hospital. I was so confused because in my mind, I was still thinking that Leo only had a sprained ankle. So much information was delivered to me, and I couldn't figure out what his brain had to do with any of it. After countless tests, Leo's decline continued, and after a week's stay in the hospital, the doctors were honestly stumped. Leo had been stripped of every motor function. His legs were the first to be affected, followed quickly by his arms. His speaking and swallowing declined, and within a month's time, he had gone from being an active toddler to a motionless little boy. I, I cannot even imagine how difficult that must have been, not, not knowing what in the world is going on, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what was it like when Leo became ill? It was such a difficult time. We felt so alone. There were no other cases to help guide our journey. Leo's medical files were sent all over the world, including the Netherlands and John Hopkins, but their findings came back inconclusive as well. In a way, we were sort of dismissed. We were left with little hope as the doctors expressed that Leo most likely wouldn't see his third birthday. So we began to approach each day as if it was his last and just wanted to make him happy and make him smile. Yeah, I can imagine. When I looked at Leo, I found myself wanting to give him the world, and I knew I only had a limited amount of time to do it in. It was never a question about what he was unable to do. We looked at his life and thought, we are going to make things able for him to achieve. We never wanted any opportunity to pass us by, so we attempted to try anything at least once. Hmm. I think as parents, you just... You want to give your child everything. Mm-hmm. And then when it's turned upside down and you have no answers, how difficult that must have been. How did this whole experience of caring for Leo change you and your family, Diane? Leo opened my eyes, and I began to look at life through a different lens. I watched my son look at the mountain of life challenges in front of him, and I couldn't believe the level of acceptance he demonstrated at such a young age. By watching him, I became more empathetic, more patient, and my faith grew stronger with each passing day. Within time, we were able to stabilize his decline. He did regain some abilities through holistic medicine, and he had years where he was mobile with the use of a walker and wheelchair. We took full advantage of that time frame, and we were able to provide Leo with a wide variety of adventures. There were so many people that came to our aid, many wonderful nonprofit organizations. How, how did these people that offered the help and support, as well as just the people that you'd meet on an everyday basis, how did they react around Leo? There was just something about Leo that was so captivating. People were often drawn to him. Complete strangers would approach us, feeling the need to meet him. He had this inner light that just shined. It poured out 
through him, both through his eyes and his smile. Hmm. Did you did you notice anything that changed uh, besides his physical limitations? Uh, as his physical limitations became his disability, Leo then had the ability to be still. And in his stillness, an unexpected tour guide stepped into our lives. And Leo began to have visions and conversations with Jesus. The first encounter was when Leo was only about three years old. He was looking intently at the wall in our home as I sat by him. And he quietly said, I see Jesus. Mm. I quickly replied, well, don't go by him. Now, I understand these probably aren't the words you would expect from a loving mother. But at the time, Leo was so sick, and I was afraid that Jesus was there to take him. Yeah. And I honestly just wasn't ready to let him go. Yeah. As the years passed by, the awareness and conversations became more frequent and more personal. These encounters built my faith. And as a result, I no longer feared these visits. I welcomed them. Leo expressed things that he alone could not have known. Okay. For example, my brother was diagnosed with lung cancer, and in the course of his treatment, the port in his chest became infected. At the same time, Leo had been going through months of describing these amazing training sessions that he was having with Jesus, and then shared with me, I have a secret. I am an angel. One night, while getting ready for bed, Leo told me, I'm going to help Uncle Glenn. I am going to hover over him. It is my job. Jesus told me to. The next morning, my brother called me and said he had a dream that Leo came to him in the form of a hummingbird. Everything about the bird was normal, except its head was the face of Leo. And remarkably, my brother's port began to heal. What a story. Wow. How did being Leo's caregiver, I mean, I can hear some of it in your story so far, but um, how did that affect your own faith? As my faith was built by watching Leo in these tender moments, it prepared me for acceptance and surrender for what my family endured beyond Leo's change in health. As the years continued to pass by, my extended family suffered so much loss. Loved ones were diagnosed with a variety of illnesses one year after another. In addition to my brother, my mom and dad, my aunt and uncle, my cousin and my nephew all received daunting news. Leo was so tuned in with the spiritual realm that he often disclosed these health concerns before our loved ones even were aware themselves that there was an issue. This played out close to home when another one of my sons became part of Leo's visions. My second oldest, Trent, was 26 years old when he was in a car accident. He suffered some side effects that led us to believe that he had post-concussion syndrome. While I was in the hospital with him having a CT scan done to confirm our beliefs, Leo was at home with my husband. Leo prophesied to my husband, Trent's diagnosis, prior to us receiving the news. Leo spoke softly to my husband, saying, Trent is having surgery for the whole tumor. I'm sorry, Papa. Trent is going to heaven. What we thought was a side effect from a car accident 
turned into being a diagnosis of glioblastoma multiform, terminal brain cancer. Trent was completely blindsided by this news. His life was all about fitness and wellness, and he fueled his body with only nutritional things. He eventually told me he was able to accept and move forward with grace based on what he witnessed from the example of his little brother. He asked Leo one day, how do I believe in God? And Leo confidently responded, I am a disciple of Jesus. I have a special soul in my body. That is how I talk to Jesus. Trent took in every word that Leo spoke, and then he asked, Can you help me, brother? And, Re and Leo replied with love, I will help you find your way. Leo did just that. One of his final missions before he died at age 16 was using the two years that he lived under the same roof with his brother to help guide Trent back to his own faith. Trent then, coming to peace and acceptance of his own journey, lost his four-year battle to brain cancer not long after at the age 30. How did you possibly make it through that? And what did you learn that you can share with our audience about losing not just one son, but two sons? What can you share with us, Diane? Both of my sons demonstrated their faith, and as a result, strengthened mine. I strongly believe that my children were only mine to borrow, to love, to teach, and to learn from. I was able to peacefully let go of my sons because of the promise of eternal life. I surrendered and accepted because of what I bore witness to over the years. I saw the belief in Leo's eyes. He transformed me and elevated my belief to another level. Wow. I told you, audience, that you were going to need some Kleenex. Oh, goodness. Um, it's wonderful, Diane, that you're spreading this hope to your family, your friends, to the people that offered help and support to you and your family throughout your journey, and to countless others like me and some who you may never meet, but I'm sure you will have impacted and inspired in a, in a big way. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we return, we're going to meet two of the organizations Diane and her family worked with that gave Leo so much help and joy. Stay tuned and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Diane Ninas, who so beautifully shared her story of her son Leo's journey. And joining us for this next segment is the executive director from one of the nonprofit organizations that offered help and support. Welcome to the show, Rose Hebar, executive director from Team Up with Families and Katie's Closet. Thank you, Jill. I'm so happy to be here. And after such an inspiring presentation, Diane, I'm very uh, honored to share the mic with you yes. today. Very, 
very emotional but inspirational mm-hmm. at the same time and and that's what this show is about it's about informing and impacting and inspiring people and I've no doubt that we're going to do that throughout the whole uh, interview today. But before we get into how you specifically helped Leo and Diane's family, Rose, can you tell us about Team Up With Families and Katie's Closet? I would love to. Um, Team Up With Families was formed about 20 years ago by a group of mothers and families um, where they they got together and started sharing medical equipment that uh, their children would need for a while and outgrow and, and, and also formed a group that sponsored some family-inclusive events, you know, camps that included not just a child with special needs, but also their siblings. And it's been an organization around about 20 years. And the largest initiative, though, of this group is Katie's Closet. And Katie's Closet is a very large medical lending library and also medical supplies uh, that we um, give out to the public for no cost. We have a 13,000 foot square square foot warehouse right now in southern Waukesha and it is filled with gently used donated medical items and medical supplies. The types of things that we have uh, would include, you know, walkers and canes, but also wheelchairs, power lifts, power wheelchairs, children's adapted strollers. It's just a wide variety of things that we have. In addition to the equipment, we distribute medical supplies. So we get donations of incontinence items and wound care items and liquid feeding supplies and that sort of thing. And and like I said, we, we accept these donations, we sort them, we clean them, we organize them, and then we find ways to distribute them to people who need these things. And a wheelchair is not inexpensive and you know I've some of my family members have had to use like those little stroller things for their knees and you know the elderly I'm sure can't afford to buy some of these things and and sometimes it's just a period of time that you need them I think that's an important part of of this Jill is and and why we are here and what we want to have people understand is that there is so much medical equipment purchased in this especially in this country that's designed to be used five years or more and is very often only used a couple of months so we have got a lot of families with with equipment that again was used for a short time maybe a recovery from an orthopedic surgery something like that and so it's really a great mission to be able to collect these things and redistribute them to people who need it so that we don't have to always buy new equipment so that helps um, the environment you know as far right. as recycling and reusing but it also is a huge cost savings to families uh, so that they don't have to purchase all these items. Insurance will pay for some, but many times they're um, even, you know, especially the more expensive equipment, there's often a lag time between approval and so sometimes people need a, uh, equipment for a bridge use um, or or sometimes, uh, you know, insurance have large co-pays and so we try to fill that gap and uh, do it very well, I think. I think so, and you know, you just made me think about 
<laughs> I have some crutches in my basement that <laughs> have been sitting there for a while when I hurt my knee yeah. from softball many years ago. Do you accept crutches too? Uh, yeah, and let me tell you something real quick about crutches is we were real happy to help some athletic trainers in the area working in some of the high schools. For a while, you know, when we were in the midst of the COVID crisis, there was such a uh, stoppage in the supply chain that oh. there was a shortage of crutches for a while. And I got a call from an athletic trainer saying, I've got a 16-year-old in the high school that has to use a walker because they had knee reconstruction. <laughs> oh, Can you imagine? Oh, dear. Yeah. Okay. So we were so happy. We not only gave, we gave them like five pairs of crutches. Oh, okay. I got to dig <laughs> so those whatever. out then. Yeah, but okay. yes, we, we absolutely distribute. Yeah, crutches are a very popular item. I would yeah. think so. I would th- <laughs> mm-hmm. um, give us some examples of how you helped families. So start out with how you helped Diane's family and then give us some ideas of how you've helped out some others in need. I would love to. So so Leo is a great example. Um, we, we were able to help Leo's family, but we help people like Leo and like Leo's family every week. So my understanding with with Leo and Diane can help me out a little bit. One of the issues with him is that he rapidly changed his physical condition. And so that what some piece of equipment that might have worked at one time period sometimes very rapidly he would need something different and Diane has told me that Katie's Closet was able to really stay in line with Leo's needs and provide equipment and then take it back when it wasn't appropriate. Diane didn't you say that you ended up as a family purchasing just a wheelchair maybe? Right right we only had to submit a request to the insurance for one wheelchair otherwise Katie's Closet was able to fulfill Leo's needs and they were changing, you know, sometimes weekly, mm. monthly, for sure yearly. And I just think what a awesome help that is to these yeah. families. Mm-hmm. We're because dealing with the medical so many expenses. Yeah. yeah, medical expenses alone are ridiculous. Yeah. And then you have yeah. to throw the supplies on top of it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I have a recent story of a young mother who had a child with a need for a particular type of formula. Now, we don't necessarily specialize in in baby formula, regular formula. But, you know, we kind of have have a saying, you know, we give what we get. And so the pediatrician told her to contact us just on an offside chance that we might have this unusual type of formula. And do you know... We had it. Oh, we actually goodness. had what she needed, wow. and she couldn't find another source that had it. So it was something, I don't remember the particulars, but the child couldn't digest protein correctly or something like that. So it was a, a very specialized formula. And so, so you we just were don't able know. To, yeah, it's good yeah. to at least ask. Yeah. You won't mm-hmm. know until you ask, right? Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, you know, other stories every single week, one of the main types of people that we help, we kind of mentioned before, and that's like people who need short-term use equipment. So following, say, an orthopedic surgery, we set up safe bathrooms for people and and transport wheelchairs and ice machines. And, and that's really worked so well because so often those items are only needed for a short time. Sure. And then we can bring it back. We can set it up. But, you know, it, it's, it can seem like a simple thing, a grab bar in a bathroom put in the right place. But it literally saves lives. Oh, I'm sure. You know, this equipment or, or a wheelchair, eh, it's a wheelchair. This, that means someone can get from place to place. Yes. So these are so important. Well, give us an idea of your impact in terms of numbers. I think oh. this will help people understand yeah, a little better. Yeah, as far as we 
no, we are one of the largest in the country. We're certainly the largest in Wisconsin. On a typical Saturday, which is when we give out our equipment, we have eight between 80 and 100 orders wow. that we fulfill. And an order generally has multiple items on it. On an annual basis, we will typically help about 3,500 families and our, we like to say 10,000 items. I think that is extremely low because okay. we, yeah, because we, it, it's hard to count an item, but, you know, 10,000 items for sure. Wow. On an annual basis. Mm-hmm. That's really something. And mm-hmm. I assume that volunteers are an integral part of your organization in order for you to serve the numbers that you do, right? Yes. We have an incredible crew of volunteers. Uh, we have been counting our volunteer hours for a project that we were interested to see what that was. And we counted 270 hours a week, which is about the equivalent of seven FTEs. So we have an army of people that volunteer and, and they all do it out of the goodness of their heart. They all want to help the community. It's a very happy place to work. I I, I (laughs) bet it is. It's a beautiful environment. You are, you're approached by such welcoming faces in Thank such difficult you. times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like you have many generous people that support the organization by volunteering or donating money, donating medical supplies that they no longer need. Do you ever partner with other groups to distribute your equipment and supplies? We do. Um, we had a little bit of a hesitation during COVID because there weren't as many overseas missions that were able to get things out of the country, but that has all been resuming, and we partner with two overseas missions that take our equipment to Guatemala. We also partner with some local missions. There are several free clinics in the area, and we're able to supply them with with some medical equipment and medical supplies. Wonderful. Well, what's the plan for the future for Team Up and Katie's Closet? Well, I think I can summarize that pretty quickly is that we'd like to do more. We'd like to help more people. We have, uh, during uh, the time with COVID where we sort of paused a little bit with what we were doing, we were able to restructure the way we distribute items, the way we track and inventory, and we are poised to do more. And if we can get some support, uh, financial support, as well as volunteer support, as well as um, donated equipment and supplies, uh, we are poised to do a lot more. All right. So if you have a pair of crutches in your attic (laughs) or in your basement like we do, pull them on out and get them on over to Rose. So, Rose, if people want more information, what's the best way for them to contact? I would really like to encourage people to go to our website, teamupwithfamilies.org. We're not, we're, we're a warehouse. So, we don't have the situation where, we're, you know, we're open every day, that sort of thing. So please check the website, and we have specific hours that we can accept donations and specific hours that we can loan out equipment. But please check our website, teamupwithfamilies, all one word, dot org. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Rose, for sharing how you make an impact for so many families in our community. Diane's family, for sure, and and many others. We're going to take a commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to hear from another nonprofit organization that helped Leo and other families in a multitude of ways. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. 
Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. In our next segment, we're going to talk with Myra Sanchik from Independence First. Welcome to the show today, Myra. Thank you, Jill. So I think what we should do is have Diane tell the story of what Independence First did for your family. They offered an amazing opportunity for our family to allow Leo to take part in some adventures that there's no way he would have been able to have done without the assistance of these amazing people. Leo had the opportunity to first go water skiing, which he initially was going to go water skiing, but my husband was a little too afraid, so he ended up water tubing, which actually ended up being to Leo's benefit as he peered over to his shoulder and saw the beautiful young girl assisting him. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he was caring how fast the boat was going. He couldn't take his eyes off of her. (laughs) Oh, I hope you got that on video. Yes, we did. Yes, Yes, yes. we did. Uh, Leo also had the opportunity to go downhill snow skiing, which was a beautiful adventure. Uh, It was provided by amazing volunteers that were able to take Leo down and also videotape it as the daughter was snowboarding backwards, capturing everything that Leo was experiencing. My favorite part of that was my husband's expression when they saw that Leo was getting positioned to go up the lift. And he was in shock saying, they're taking him to the top? (laughs) (laughs) As a mom, I'm sure, too, you're a little little scared, but knew that they were in good hands, right? Yes, I definitely just wanted Leo to be able to embrace everything that life had. And the hills were literally filled with his laughter. Mm. We could hear it before we could see him. Oh, I imagine. What what a beautiful, beautiful scene that must have been. Wow. Myra, why don't you give us a, an overview of Independence First? Like, what, what is the mission and what are some of the, the things that you do and, and the ways that you help people with disabilities and their families? Well, the story that Diane told was perfect because we believe in inclusivity. And that's the joy of life, being included, being able to do what other people can do. And um, you heard it through Leo's laughter. That's not sitting at the side because you're in a wheelchair or you're, you use a service dog. It's being included in life and looking over and seeing an attractive woman and just being, you know, being, your, being living in, in life. And, and inclusivity is our mission. It's not easy because um, people typecast um, people with disabilities often. So we have um, many programs, more than 40. It's a complicated but simple mission. It's simple that we believe everybody can live a great life independently in the community. Some might need support, but everybody can have a a high quality of life. So everyone's so individual. We have many, many different um, avenues and workshops and programs. They change according to what's needed, according to what people are interested in. So um, for instance, this summer we have hiking, we have um, art programs, we have all sorts of things. We also have assistive technology that can help um, a person with a disability even drive a car if they um, don't have legs. I mean, we have just anything that um, would allow pers- somebody with a disability to lead 
a normal life and be included. And, and that's the joy. Mm-hmm. And that's what you heard in Leo's story. Yeah. Well, Leo's is obviously just one of one of many. So can you share more examples of how you've stepped up and how you've helped in a time of need? Oh, there's so many. Um, you know, I'll tell you about one of our programs, and it's it's not a recreation and it's not a, a fun type of program, but we teach um, in Milwaukee Public Schools, we teach um, a class called Making Proud Choices. And kids with disabilities are victimized often at a higher rate. So they need to be aware of sexual abuse and um, what's going on so they can say no and they can stand up for themselves. So um, we've been teaching this class for, for quite a while. And recently we had one young student who came in and found independence first and found the building um, after the class because she said, I've been, I realize now that I have been sexually abused and I wanted to stop. And she looked for her teacher and she thought that it was a safe place to come and that she was educated and got that awareness. And that's the, the support she needed to live independently in the community. So those kind of stories are, you know, just every day, really. Well, give us more information about Independence First specifically, like how it came to be for those people that may not know. Sure. We were born out of the um, ADA, the American um, Disabilities Act, which came from the Civil Rights Movement, ensuring people with disabilities have equal access and equal rights. So the government um, divided the country into regions to ensure this and put nonprofits like ours in different regions. So we serve Milwaukee, Washington, um, Ozaukee, and Waukesha counties. We're the largest in Wisconsin of its kind, and we are one of the largest in the country. So we have more than a 1,000 employees. Um, Most of them are out in the community helping people. You're not going to find people hanging out at our building because that's if if they're not there, if they're in the community, if they're working, if they're at school, if they're um, being independent, that's that means we're doing something right. We do have classes and programs and people gather, but it's not a daycare. It's not a facility. Okay. Well, how is talking about the pandemic a little bit? We touched on that just a smidge, but how how has that pandemic affected your mission, if at all? Yeah, well, you know, people everywhere have been affected by this pandemic, and especially uh, people, many who are underserved, um, who have disabilities. Many don't have computers. They can't do telehealth. They don't have transportation. Um, it really isolated people and kept them away from medical attention. And um, it was very difficult. Some people lost their jobs. They were uh, on the brink of eviction. There, there was one family who um, they were selling their um, stove, their refrigerator, just to survive. So we found them, and we got CARES Act funding to provide a number of people food, uh, we bought this particular family. His name's Cottrell. He was a 16-year-old boy with a cognitive disability. And his mom lost her job. He had a brother. They were both sleeping on a mattress on the floor together. Um, so we, we saw this, and we got them a bed, a stove, a refrigerator, food, um, and secured their rent and their utilities with funds so that they could get through it until the mom 
could find another job because unemployment doesn't kick in right away, especially if you're living paycheck to paycheck. So there are a lot of gaps that COVID really um, exacerbated, and uh, we were able to help a lot of people like that. You were able to step in the gap, huh? Mm -hmm. So when I think about Diane's story and how she talks about – you know, the pretty young gal that her teenage son <laughs> took notice of. Do people volunteer for Independence First to do these different things, or do you employ them? How does that work? We have employees. We also have volunteers. Okay. Uh, we have every month a food distribution with the Hunger Task Force, um, providing um, food for seniors. And, it, you know, you just come by with an idea to show that you're a senior, or you have someone in your family or a friend do it for you volunteers staff that we have a lot of experts that we hire because there's a lot of expertise needed you know with the government with benefits counseling with um we have peer support uh we we pay most of our workers so even you know peer support we um we have people on staff who do that. Okay. And it's, it's important that we're peer-run. So more well, 51% of our staff and board have a disability. Oh, okay. So they get well, it. They live we, it every we, day. They live it every day, yeah, and yeah. they understand. And that's coming from a really different place than, a, you know, the top down. Mm-hmm. It's equal, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, we never have enough time to get to everything that we want to cover in our interviews, but uh, I think a lot of the stuff that we talked about okay, already at least gives people a really good idea of what you're capable of doing and how you reach out and help in the community. What are the future plans for Independence First, and how can the public help? We just want more people to know about us. Uh, we have so many services. We have caregiving services that um, what we do is provide a way that people in their family can care for a loved one and get paid. So they don't have to go and get a job on the outside because caring for a loved one, which they would do anyway, is one of the most important things you can do. So we have a program that allows uh, a salary for that through the state. Um, So we facilitate that. We always need donations. There's never enough. We want to expand, reach more people. There's so many needs out there. And you know, as uh, the baby boomer generation ages, there's more need. We have a huge divergent program. We have alternatives to institutionalization. So we help people who don't want to go to nursing homes. It's, it's a person's choice. And if they don't want to and they believe they can live in the community, we'll help them find housing, furniture, what, what they need to be independent in the community. And we have a large information and referral divisions. So anything anyone needs, if we don't do it or have it, we know who does. Okay. If people want to get more information, so obviously going to your website or your Facebook page, whatever it is, people are going to understand a little bit better about the services that you offer and the the different programs that you have. What's the best way for people to get more information? Independencefirst.org. Okay, well, that's easy. That's easy. (laughs) You heard a beautiful story from Diane Ninas about love and compassion, sacrifice and joy, turning pain into purpose and loss into gain. You also heard about two nonprofit organizations that worked with Diane and her family to offer help when and where they needed it, as well as other people in the community. I hope everyone was taking mental notes. 
So if they encounter someone who may need this help, they can offer some guidance and advice on places to go. And we've also shared their website information as well. But we're going to take a commercial break. And when we return, I'm going to give everyone you heard from today an opportunity for some closing thoughts. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach. And I'm going to close out this interview today by talking with all three of my guests, Diane Ninas, Rose Hebar from Katie's Closet, and Myra Sanchik, representing Independence First. So the interview so far, I believe, has has been such a beautiful example of how people can work together to create wonderful experiences for others. So I'd like to end the interview with giving each of you an opportunity to share some closing thoughts with our audience. So Diane, you mentioned earlier that your hope was intended for more than just you. And I understand that you have spoken at uh, several different events, but how do you plan to continue to share that hope with others. I've also wrote a memoir about our life entitled The Light That Led Me Home. I want this to inspire others and to provide hope that even in our darkest moments, we can find the light, but more importantly, be the light for others to see. I've also written a series of children's books called Living Life with Leo, highlighting the adventures that we made possible for Leo with the help of all the amazing people that you heard from today. I hope this series will showcase that although you may lose your physical abilities, you still have the ability to live a full life. I also hope that the books will encourage inclusion and treating people equally, showing that even though people may look different and their actions are played out differently, we are all created and loved equally by God. If there's anything that I hope that you can take away from our story is that God truly has his hands on every aspect of our lives. In my greatest losses, I have also found my greatest gains. I try to be open to all the signs and messages that surround me, and in doing so, I have witnessed so many blessings that have been received. I literally saw the love of Jesus looking back at me through the eyes of both of my sons. Because we slowed life down, we lived in the moment, and we did not take for granted the little things that life has to offer. That's a great takeaway. You know, people, I hope people remember that. You know, it makes me think of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which is one of my favorite Bible verses, and it says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not evil, plans for hope and a future. It doesn't say, I'll help you with your plans or give you what you think is good, right? I, the all-knowing, all-powerful, and loving God, have a plan. Mm -hmm. Your story, Diane, wasn't your plan, I'm sure. No. <laughs> but in God's omniscient, loving, and compassionate ways, he had a grand plan. And it was for hope and a future for Leo, for you and your family, and for us. 
Jeremiah 29 goes on to say in verse 13, If you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. Such a beautiful thing to hang on to, Mm -hmm. right? Definitely. God knows what the best plan is for our lives and our future. And it's a good chance that it may not align with our plans, right? But it'll be good. And it will offer hope, as Diane so eloquently stated. And when we seek him, he is there, walking beside us through every single thing. Rose, what would you like to say to close up your segment? Well, I would like to say that Team Up with Families and Katie's Closet is here to help. You know, we provide opportunities for families to um, participate in fun activities. We also manage Katie's Closet, which uh, is a large uh, medical equipment uh, lending library and medical supply source. We provide a place for people to donate their items. Um, Like you were saying, Jill, that you may have some things in your basement. Unfortunately, there are some things we don't take. Okay. You know, um, that we just don't have the capacity to to receive. Um, So I would encourage uh, people to check the website to see both what we have that would be available to be loaned out as well as what we would like to have donated to us so that we can uh, redistribute it. So, yeah, so the website is our source of truth. If you can help us in any way by donating financially, donating um, items, and also donating time because we need volunteers to run this organization. So teamupwithfamilies.org. All right, Myra, do you want to land the plane today and close us out here with some closing thoughts? Big responsibility, landing (laughs) a plane. Um, You know, I just would like to say that, um, you know, Diane's story and the people that we work with are not the stories of other people. They're everyone's story. Um, We all have parents, friends, loved ones who we know. There's a car accident. There's a stroke. They discover uh, you know, degenerative disease. So it's not other people. Uh, we as an organization will help anybody um, wherever they're at and uh, try to, to bring them into uh, the community to a happy life. We, of course, love donations, uh, volunteers, and we just want to reach people who could benefit from our services. So our website, independencefirst.org. All right. Very good. Well, I want to thank all of you for participating in our interview today. If you'd like further information about what we talked about, or if you'd like to be considered as a guest on the show, or if you'd like to make a guest recommendation for our show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com, or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 to learn more about the ways people and organizations are contributing to making our community a caring and compassionate place. You can tune into Milwaukee's philanthropic community on your radio or via the iHeartRadio app. And I encourage you to visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows, or you can now listen on demand, which means Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcast. I hope the story you heard today helped you understand how pain can turn into purpose and loss can turn into gain. Diane's experience with pain and loss has the power to inspire others in such a beautiful way, and we hope that hearing how two specific nonprofits helped along the journey will make you stop and think about how you can make a difference for someone else in some way. Uh, Let's all do some self-reflection and determine how we can use our time, our gifts, and or our resources to provide help, hope, and support for someone in some way. 
maybe as simple as sharing a kind word or a smile. I encourage everyone to find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a great day.